Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career, and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. My guest today is Deborah Joseph. Deborah is an award-winning editor with over 20 years experience in print and digital publishing and in 2017 was appointed the editor-in-chief at Glamour. Born in Manchester, she went on to study English Lit at Nottingham University, moving to London when she was 21. Deborah began her formative career in glossy women's magazines, working for Cosmopolitan and more and in true full circle style, she was part of the team that launched Glamour 20 years ago. Her award-winning career has consisted of working for the Daily Mail, Condé Nast Brides and Easy Living. Deborah pivoted her career before her current role and worked for six years at fashion and celebrity tech startups. Now in her role as editor-in-chief at Glamour, she's directed the brand's content transition from a print to a digital-first and beauty-first brand that works 360 across print, social, video and experiential. Deborah is a mother of three and two pugs and advocates regularly on the topic of women's empowerment and the challenges facing the world of mothers. She's had such an amazing career so far, and I cannot wait to delve into her sliding doors moments. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah. Thank you for having me. I love this idea. It's such a cute idea for a podcast and a really great way to bring up interesting conversations. So oh, I'm- no, thank you. So our connection is, is that um, 
we're both from Manchester. I like having Mancunians on the podcast. And I also am very good friends with your cousin. We grew up together. Um, I, she lives in LA now. I visit her regularly. But also through my research, I found out that we both went to the same school. So we both went to Manchester High. Um, I've got such fond memories of going to that school and still have some very close friends today. Do you kind of feel the same from your school years there? I really do. I loved school. Um, it made me a massive feminist. And I didn't think about this until um, until a few years ago, actually. It's almost like they put feminism into the water. I don't <laughs> remember them explicitly talking to me about it, but they made me believe that as a woman, I could achieve anything. And I think it's because of the school's history. Um, Emmeline Pankhurst's granddaughter went there, or daughter, and I think it was just in the water. Yeah, that sense of empowerment, you're right. It was never forced upon us, but you, you <laughs> felt it a lot when you left. Um, and did you always want to go into journalism from a young age? No, in fact, I was talking about this to my eight-year-old daughter the other day. I wanted to be a fashion designer. Oh, didn't, didn't we all? Uh, yeah, I, I used to lie in bed at night drawing, you know, drawing clothes. And I did lots of work experience in that, in that field. I considered law at one point. Um, and then finally settled on advertising when I was at university. And I did that for three months and mm -hmm. just really didn't enjoy it at all. I remember dreading going to work in the morning thinking, is this it? Is this real life now that I've left university and I've got to go to work? And then um, a friend of mine told me that she had got work experience at Moore magazine, which mm -hmm. I don't remember that. because Yeah, no, I do. Defunct. But when I was younger, it was like the most ladette, feisty feminist magazine out there. And I loved it. It's also very rude and naughty, which I also loved. And um, she told me she'd done work experience there. And it was like a light bulb moment. I just thought, what do you mean? You can actually work at a magazine. It's actually a real job. Yeah. Um, so I rang, I remember ringing in my lunch hour from the ad, ad agency um, ringing more magazine asking for work experience and I just got lucky because normally there's like a six month to year long wait yeah and the, and the editorial assistant was on holiday and there was a temp and she was so relaxed she went oh yeah we, we've got space in two weeks someone's dropped out do you want to come then so I took I took a holiday from my ad agency went to work at more magazine and I remember walking into the room there was music blaring everyone was young and fun and I just thought this is where I want to be. And I, I've always had that feeling for 25 years. It's never gone away. It just feels, it felt like home for me. Oh, I love that so, so much. And as editor-in-chief at Glamour, what's your kind of personal objective? I mean, we, you just spoke about how, you know, the feminism inside you, but what, what do you really want to achieve through the publication and through digital and everything that you do? Well, Glamour is a platform for Gen Z and millennial women. And I really want us to be an open-minded platform that gives a voice to minorities and challenges people's thinking and entertains, informs, moves the conversation on, and also sometimes does the unexpected. Mm -hmm. I mean, first and foremost, I think we're about entertainment and information. I think that they're, they're, the, they're the first thing. But beyond that, I love it when people say to me, oh my God, that article really made me think. It really changed my point of view on something. And to me, that's that's a real blessing to have the power of the platform to do that and to change people's thinking yeah. in a positive way and in an empowering way. That's amazing. I mean, also, it's, it's a hugely feminist platform. It's about female empowerment and bringing equality for women in, in every form. Yeah, it's so powerful. And do you feel like in being in such a high position, do you feel like you lead 
from example. So I know the type of leader I am to my team is very much based on the good and the bad experiences I've had. And, you know, people watch Devil Wears Prada and all of these types of things and have such a perception. Do you feel like you, you know, you definitely lead your team from all the experiences you've had in your career? A hundred percent. I was thinking, I was actually talking about this the other day. I was listening to a woman. It, um, it was for International Women's Day. She was, she'd experienced um, terrible infertility problems and she said, even though it was terrible, it's really made her realize that your personal life always has to come first. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think it's fair enough. If you ask my team, I think they'd say, I always say to them, you know, family comes first, your personal, your health comes first. I never want a situation where people aren't going to the doctor because they're so worried about getting their work done or worrying that, you know, if, if they've had a personal problem, they can't talk about it or take time off. I think it's really, really important. And it wasn't a message that was taught to me early on in my career. I was yeah. it felt work comes first. And if I take time off to go to the hospital or if I take my, all my holiday, then it's going to reflect badly on me. And I don't think that's, that's a positive or healthy way of working. So I, I definitely do. And I also had um, infertility problems. And I remember taking secret weeks off work, pretending I was sick because I was going through IVF. And it, it would just be devastating to me if one of my team had those experiences and didn't feel they could be open and honest about them. Yeah. And it's so great because I think, you know, back in the day, especially the message was, you know, the longer hours you work, the better you are at your job. And I think only in the past, you know, five to 10 years, maybe not even that, the work-life balance has become something that everyone talks about more of actually like, actually the work-life balance is what makes you better at your job. Um, and you don't have to be working all hours of the day. And as you say, your personal, if you're happy mentally and things are going well in your personal life, you will be better at your job. So it's brilliant that you advocate all of that because, you know, as I said before, everyone's idea of an editor in chief can sometimes be very much like Miranda Priestley's. I mean, I've just started watching The Bold Type. I don't know if you've watched that. And it, you should watch it because they they portray the editor-in-chief role as something so different and so positive and someone that really encourages and nurtures and pushes her team. I think I've been in this industry for 25 years and if I can make sure that the experiences that I had early on in my career, feeling that I was being silenced as a woman and didn't have the courage to speak up, I think I want my team to have the courage to speak up if something isn't right and to be able to discuss it. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I try hard to do every yeah. day. I mean, you must have done some amazing things in your career as well. Have you got like a a kind of fun? I mean, I used to work at the British Fashion Council and there's some very ridiculous stories that I have through through my career. Is there anything that stands out to you as something of the most ridiculous thing that's happened? I think the most ridiculous story I can think of, I mean, ridiculous as in wonderfully ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I flew to Mystique um, to interview Beyonce once. Oh my gosh. We ended up having dinner, loads of us, and ended up dancing by the pool to Crazy in Love with Beyonce. No, you didn't. Pinch me moments, you think, I have to remember this in my life because the fact that this is happening in front of me and I'm part of it is just so incredible. Then everyone jumped in the pool, fully dressed. No way. It was, was, yeah, it was, that's probably my wildest memory. I mean, I don't know if anyone could ever top that moment. That's a, that's a pretty epic one. Um, And another reason why I really wanted to have you on the podcast was because you posted a while ago about a book that I love called the Midnight Library, um, which 
is such a fascinating read because it's all about, you know, the different paths we take, the different lives we could have had. And I love it. And it very much relates to the sliding doors concept. So what are your thoughts around, you know, the different paths we could have taken in life, fate versus coincidence? I really don't like to live my life with shudder, woulda, coulda, because it's a really negative way to live. You know, every every decision we've made, everything that's happened has led you to where you are today. And obviously people have very bad situations that they're currently in and they think if I hadn't done that, then this wouldn't have happened. But fundamentally, I think regret's a really negative feeling and it's something I've learned over life to A, be thankful for what I've got now because I'm I'm very lucky. Even the years of infertility I went through, it was absolutely horrendous. But now I think, well, if I'd fallen pregnant when I first started trying, I wouldn't have the children that I've got today. Exactly. So, also, it made me a better person. It's made me more empathetic. And I, I, I try more and more as I get older to, to find the good in, what, in the decisions I've made. And as long as you learn from things that might be considered a mistake and you don't repeat them over and over and again in your mm-hmm. life, then you can't really regret anything because if it's taught you something, then that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. I've got to, but I, I don't think I've always been like that. I think in the past I did, you know, beat myself up or felt ashamed of things I'd said or done or you know, regretted things deeply. And it's just a negative energy. It's just wasted energy. It really is. And, you know, I think it's something you definitely learn as you get older. You know, when we're younger, I mean, when you're younger and you go through heartbreak and your parents are like, don't worry, it'll get better. And you're like, no, it won't. This is the worst thing ever. You, You don't realize that you learn from the bad things, I think, until you've been through more life experience. I feel lucky. I've got a great husband. I love my kids. I love my job whatever mistakes I made in the past that might have been bad have led to me where I am today. So I can't regret any of them. Of course. And that's such a nice segue into talking about your sliding doors moments. So um, your first one is before your job at Glamour, you were made redundant while on maternity leave and you needed to decide what direction to take. So you didn't know whether to go away from print to join an app. um, And you actually ended up taking a job um, at an app and moving a bit away from kind of the print life that you'd had before to kind of future-proof your career and spend more time with your children. So explain a bit about that time in your life. I mean, it's hard enough when you're on maternity leave to take time from a job, but to lose a job on maternity leave must have been quite hard for you. It was horrible. I think for a few reasons. What I didn't realise at the time was I was suffering from postnatal depression Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, and I was having panic attacks when I first had my, this is my second baby. And with my first child, I I didn't have any of this. I was blissfully happy, thankful that I'd managed to have a baby. Um, but by my second child, you know, I had two babies under two. I was editing, um, easy living, which was, you know, a really difficult job at the time because it was failing as a magazine. So I was constantly treading water, trying to, trying to felt like I was on a hamster's wheel, trying to make something a success when, I don't think it was ever going to be a success. And I think that will led me to quite a bad place. Also being pregnant through that, oh not God, sleeping, yeah. all of it. So by the time I had the baby, I, I, I really um, was, had really bad postnatal depression. But because like so many women, I just get up in the morning, get dressed, put my makeup on and get through it. I don't think anybody realized what was really going on with me, including yeah. myself. And then six months into um, the paternity leave, I got made redundant and I, I'd seen it coming, but, you know, it w- I was made redundant on, on, on a, in a phone call, two-minute phone call, and it hit me really hard. I bet it did. 
And I, I think I was so ashamed. I didn't feel comfortable even discussing with my husband just actually how ashamed I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt such a failure. I think all of this tied into where you are when you have a baby anyway. You're out of it. You know, you're, you're on maternity leave. You feel like the world's going on without you. Especially and, in what you do. It's fast paced. You're in it every single day. Exactly. And yeah, it was tough at the time. But, but I had a moment and I thought, okay, what do I do now? Do I try and get a job back in magazines in the publishing world. And at this point, it wasn't a, a, a time, a prolific time for magazines. There weren't lots of new magazines being launched. If anything, there was starting to be a shift towards digital and I could feel it. Yeah. I could feel it in the air, I could see advertisers were wanting to spend money in the digital space. And my husband and my sister-in-law, who both work in the digital space, said to me, you really should move into a digital space. You've got to, you know, get new skills, a new skill set. It was very, very scary because I'd been a print journalist for 20 years. It's all I'd ever known. And I loved it. So I was very lucky. Literally two weeks after I got made redundant, a friend of mine who'd come from the television world, actually, who'd also seen this move towards digital, Mm -hmm. managed to make, to get a few million pound investment for an app. And in those days, no one really understood what apps were doing. Facebook existed. Instagram was in its infancy and everyone was trying to find the next Facebook. So he managed to get this huge amount of money. And he said, would you come and do the content for me? Because it was a celebrity app and it was lifestyle and very much in my sweet spot. Um, So I went, I went from being, you know, an editor one day, a a glossy magazine editor one day to being, uh, you know, at a startup in a small office, no perks, everything was stripped down. And, it was the best learning curve ever. I sat with the tech team. I didn't understand a word they were saying. It was like they were speaking a foreign language. <laughs> and I used to hide and I used to take notes in meetings and I used to go and sit in the toilet at lunchtime and ring my brother and go, what does open, <laughs> what does open source mean? What's a front, what's a front end designer? What's a back end designer? Oh, back end. Me used to laugh so much because um, one of my friends used to always talk about the back end of the website. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Exactly. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I literally knew nothing, you know, and within six months I understood how to do a social media campaign. I understood the terminology. Um, I understood about different coding languages. It was just an amazing, amazing experience. And also it allowed me to spend more time with my kids because I was working four days a week and the office was quite near my home. So there were lots of positives about it, but what was interesting about it at the time, a lot of journalists were like, giving me what, you know, what I call the side head cock of, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Tapping me on the shoulder. And I remember looking at them thinking, I think I'm okay. Are you okay? Because you can't seem to see there's a digital revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it really stood me in good stead. It really did. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And also going back to feelings of like shame and regret about the decisions you make, you can't always see how things are going to turn out. Of course not. At the time, I couldn't have possibly known that being made redundant was the biggest gift anybody could have given me. Mm-hmm. It was only within a few years I understood that. But at the time, I couldn't have understood that. Yeah. And, you know, when taking it back, when you do make a decision, how how do you come to that? So are you someone that do you debate it with your husband? Do you write pros and cons? Or did you just have a gut feeling that it was something that you needed to do? 
I like to talk about it with people and then I make my own decision. I mean, mm-hmm. my, my husband thinks no one can persuade me to do anything I don't want to do. He thinks that's my personality. Yeah. But I don't think that's fair. I think I, I like to listen to other people's opinion and then I take it all in and then sleep on it. And ultimately, I think I always follow my gut instinct, always. Yeah. It's such a lovely message to people because it's a brave thing to do to pivot your career and to be the brave one to say, I'm going to change what I'm doing. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to make myself kind of more robust in knowing what is going on in the industry that I'm in. It's something I'm passionate about to encourage women to come back to work after pregnancy, because in the long run, I certainly feel more fulfilled working. I know not everybody feels the same as me. Lots of my friends have been happy looking after their kids full time and they feel very fulfilled with that. But if you do want to go back to work, I think fear stops a lot of people and that's a shame. Yeah. And you're a great example of people to see that. Do you, do you ever think if you had gone back into the publishing world and the print world and not taken that risk with the apps, where, what would you have been doing today? I think I probably would have been made redundant again. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, it's very either that I probably would be freelance writing or I'd have gone to work for an animal charity I think in my my sliding doors life I'm definitely saving animals so (laughs) love that I think think maybe I would have done that that's something I feel very passionate about or I I also have always wanted to be an entrepreneur I've always wanted to set up my own business which I'm not done yet in my life so maybe I would have gone to do that yeah I mean the what ifs of where you could have gone When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And moving on to your second moment. So just first of all, thank you for sharing such a personal story with us because it's a really important thing to talk about. So you say how you were struggling to have a baby and the doctor recommended that you get an egg donor, but you then went on to get a surrogate instead. Um, However, the surrogate ended up having a miscarriage. Um, But one day later, you actually fell pregnant yourself. And you say that if you hadn't, if you had gone with the egg donation, you would have never had your own genetic children. Um, fertility is such a personal story to everyone, um, but it is really important to tell the story if you feel like you can. So do you want to kind of just explain how hard this struggle was for you at the time before you did f- f- fell pregnant? Well, it, it was hard enough that even though my son just turned 10 this week, I could still cry about it. So that's how hard it was. I've ne- you know, it, I've never got over it. It's it's like a, it's like a, trauma that I think anybody who's been through for infertility and IVF and failed IVF and the whole thing around it it's traumatic mm-hmm. and no matter even if you go on to have children I don't think you ever fully get over that feeling um I think the first thing I think the first thing with infertility is 
massive feeling of failure. You feel like your body's letting you down. You feel like a failure is a woman. Why does everybody else seem to be able to sneeze and fall pregnant and I can't? Yeah. There's all those feelings going on. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that. I've spoken to lots of other women who've struggled to fall pregnant and they've all felt the same as me. So I think that's quite a common theme. Um, I tried for four and a half years. I had six failed rounds of IVF. Wow. And after my second round, I, I just, I, I was told, you know, I think I started IVF when I was 32. I'd been trying for a year and I went to the doctor and, and I went for a scan and the woman kind of looked at me and went, you know, your fertility is 10 years older than a woman your age. Really? And mentally, my fertility was of a 42-year-old, even though I was only 32, i.e. my eggs, I didn't have enough eggs mm-hmm. and the quality of my eggs were very poor. Um, so it was a huge shock because I had no idea that such yeah. a thing happen I just didn't know and after I think my second or third round of IVF second I think when they saw how few eggs I was producing in IVF they said to me your best chance of having a baby is using an egg donor so basically what they were saying to me age 33 I think I was at that point was you know you need to give up on your dream of having your own genetic child and you need to have you know a baby with your husband's sperm but with another woman's egg yeah and let me just say, I think egg donation is incredible and there's many, many ways to have a baby and many, many ways to have a family. And I support that. But, you know, just one or two years into my journey when I still was producing my own eggs, albeit not great eggs, but mm-hmm. I had my own eggs and I was 33 or 34 years old, it felt like someone had punched me in the stomach. They're basically telling me to give up on my dream of having my own genetic child. And um, in the end... And again, I don't like, to, I think this is where my husband gets from that I just always do my own thing. I, I remember sitting there, I think it was the third time they mentioned egg donation to me. And I said, I want you to put on my form in capital letters at the bottom, do not mention egg donation to this woman. Yeah, because it wasn't what you needed to hear. Every time they said it to me, I felt myself getting more and more hysterical. Mm-hmm. Hysterical, like anxious, upset, angry, everything. And um, I said, please don't mention it to me again. And, you know, if you've been through IVF, you know, you don't always see the same doctor. You see different doctors every time. They just look at your notes and then they say the same thing, which is why I said, put it on the bottom of my notes in big letters so that the next time I see a new doctor, they read it and they don't just repeat the same line to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of the reason IVF clinics tell people to go for egg donation is because it's better for their um, stats because you've got a better chance of falling pregnant quickly with an egg donor and so it just suits them but it doesn't suit the woman it didn't suit me but it would have suited them and I didn't know that at the time so I think if I wasn't the kind of person who doesn't listen to anybody I could have easily been swayed into having an egg donor egg um because I think sometimes we look at doctors and we think you know everything you're like god um and they don't they don't know everything and my, my situation proved that they don't know everything. Yeah. So, um, and also, as I said, there's the, the private clinics. I didn't go NHS. I was very lucky. I worked and worked and worked and paid for my own IVF with, my, with the money I made for my job. And um, sorry, I mean, you can hear it in my voice. It's, I still find it obsessing. Yeah. It's so hard to talk about. It is. It is hard to talk about because it's upsetting, but I think it's so important to talk about it because when I was going through IVF, I felt so alone. Nobody mm-hmm. was talking about it. Nobody was talking about it. It was like a, sh- a shameful secret. Mm-hmm. Goodness, you know, 10 years on, that's no longer the case. And I'm thankful for that. 
Um, but you so, didn't just go through IVF, you went through a lot of like what you did was a very, very unique situation. You know, it going through it for that long, that many rounds, it, it takes yeah. its toll. Yeah, I had six rounds in four years. So I had, um, I, I was, I was trying for a baby for four and a half years. I was having IVF approximately two rounds a year mm -hmm. and then at the end for surrogacy. Um, and the reason I did two, you know, two rounds a year and not more was because each time I did it and every time it failed, it was so traumatic I both and mentally and financially, mm -hmm. we had to wait for the next round. Um, anyway, eventually, and I think this is really important when you're having IVF, it's like, work out what, what your end game is here. Like I didn't want to, I couldn't afford to have just never ending IVF. And yeah. IVF on on um, the NHS. Obviously, you're limited by the number that your uh, that your borough will allow you to have. For some people, that's only one round. For some people, it's three rounds. So you have to have a limit, whether it's forced upon you or, or if you're paying for yourself. I decided six was my limit for, for lots of different reasons. And at that point, we were going to decide what we were doing next. And the decision was either we have egg donation or we try to go for surrogacy, which a friend of mine had done. And with surrogacy, it was using my egg and my husband's sperm, but put, putting the embryo in another woman. Mm -hmm. I decided to do it. Um, again, surrogacy isn't legal currently in the UK. It's not illegal, but it's not legal. But what that means is there's a lot of grey area yeah. that you're protected. I wasn't protected as the mother. Surrogate wasn't protected either. And actually looking back on it, it was a terrible situation for both of us. It really, really was. Mm -hmm. um, neither of us was protected on any level. Um, and she fell pregnant. You know, I had two embryos left from my last, my sixth round of IVF. I'd, I produced, I don't know, six eggs at that point. Yeah. Survived and we put them in her and she fell pregnant. And I remember thinking oh my God, I'm actually going to have a baby now. It was the first time I'd ever thought that in my head. Yeah. Um, and I told my friends, I told my family, having been very, very secretive about it, I started telling people because I really believed I was going to have this child. And to celebrate, we went on holiday for two weeks because, I, again, I felt like I was finally having yeah, a baby. Yeah, you needed to celebrate. Yeah. And I'd given up all hope of ever falling pregnant myself. I'd honestly, I'd, I'd made my peace with it. Um, I didn't care at that point. I just wanted a baby at the end of it. I didn't care how, whether I helped, whether I carried the baby or she carried the baby. I really didn't care at that point. And we went on holiday. And when I was on holiday, my, I, I, I missed my period. And I thought I was, I, I thought I was starting the early menopause because really my fertility was so poor. What the, the doctors had said to me is you will likely have early menopause. Yeah. So at this point I was 36 or 35 and um, my husband said, maybe you're pregnant. And I remember going mad on holiday. I remember standing <laughs> in the bathroom going, why would you say something like that to me? You know, I can't fall pregnant. Why would you say that to me? That's a horrible thing to say. It's, you know, giving me false hope. Yeah. Anyway, we came home. No, sorry. The day before we came home from the holiday, she texted me to say, I'm really sorry. I've just been back to the clinic and there's no heartbeat. Oh my gosh. Um, I was devastated because for me, that was it. That I was can't it. even imagine how you must have felt. Well, that was it for me. It was, we're, we're not going to do this again. And our next stage is either egg donation or adoption. And that was it. So that was the end of my dream of having my own genetic child. And we flew home. It was an 11-hour flight. And I remember I just didn't think about anything else for 11 hours. 
And we arrived back on, on the Saturday and on the Sunday, she texted me and said, I'm so sorry, I've been taken off all the medication and um, I'm, I'm miscarrying. So I went to bed that Sunday night thinking that, you know, that was it. And the next morning I was meant to fly to New York for um, work. I was editing um, a bridal magazine at the time. Yeah. And um, I'd missed my period and it had been uh, two weeks now and I'm ne- I was never late on my period. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm either going to go and try and have acupuncture to bring on my period or I'm going to get a pregnancy test. And the only reason I went for the pregnancy test, not the acupuncture, was because I was going to be late for my flight if I had yeah. the acupuncture. So it was timing. Yeah, and, and the chemists and the acupuncturists were next door to each other. So, oh, really? Yeah, so I went and bought, I bought the pregnancy test and I bought it home. And I remember feeling very annoyed with myself for even bothering to do this because it must have been like the 50th pregnancy test. Yeah. Had, and I, I just was unwrapping it thinking, why are you wasting your time and money even doing this? And I was so irritated. I just put it on the bath next to me and didn't look at it. And I come and and then I looked back after a minute and it said, pregnant seven weeks I was already seven weeks pregnant oh my gosh and um so the surrogate and I must have been pregnant exactly the same, same time. time yeah I was gonna say that yes we must have been and actually I know people that that's happened to that they've ended up having a baby from a surrogate and falling pregnant and ended up with both children yeah um uh, how did that contrast feel though because you you went as you say you went through such like heartbreak of finding out and like thinking that was that your one chance had gone so then all of a sudden being like what I'm seven weeks pregnant like I can't even imagine the roller coaster I believe I just I honestly I couldn't believe my eyes and I rang my husband up and said um can you talk something's happened and he, he thought a dog had been run over because again it, 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 he couldn't think what else it could possibly be that I would be so emotional about so that was it and I was pregnant and thank god you know that baby is now my 10 year old son so mm. I mean, it's such an incredible story and it's so, as you say, fertility is such a personal journey for everyone. And it's, it's so important for people to hear your journey if you can talk about it, because everybody goes through something and it's different either way. But I guess, did you at the time or do you look back and did you start to connect the dots to be like, God, if that hadn't have happened, that wouldn't have happened and that wouldn't have happened. Like it's such a, it's so much to take in. I think, I think with time I looked back and I thought that whole surrogacy journey was so crazy and but I do wonder I mean this is again I'm just wondering if the reason I then fell pregnant was because when she fell pregnant I finally relaxed Mm -hmm. and I think people say this a lot people say that relax I mean the last thing you can do when you're trying for a baby is relax I mean and the worst you can ever say somebody to somebody who's trying for a baby is relax because you can't relax but I think life and the situation forced me to relax Mm-hmm. And I think in my head, I thought I'm going to have a baby now and I must have fallen pregnant that week. So that's completely crazy. Oh, it's, it's such a lovely story. And I mean, now you've got three amazing children as well, which I guess thinking about 10 years ago just would never have come into your mind. No, I could never, ever have imagined that I would have three children, not, not in a million years. That's probably a lot of the reason why you, you are so, um, empowered by your personal life and your work life because you know how much it means to you to have what you have and that's your world I think it's important that women in my generation share with the younger generations that you can do the two in tandem you can have Mm. and follow your career and one doesn't have to usurp the other one yeah and you're definitely leading the way with that it's just so so brilliant um, well, I think I did it the wrong way around. I, I focused on my career and then I had the children. And actually talking of regret, 
I wouldn't say it's a regret, but if I had my time again, I definitely would have tried to do the two in tandem. Yeah. And as you say, that's the message that you can start to help other people think of for their own careers. Going on to your last moment. So um, this is, again, based around your career. So deciding whether to take the editor-in-chief job at Glamour or set up your own business. So you were going through quite a difficult time in your life and your instinct was telling you not to take the job, but you're happy that you did. So I really like this because it's kind of a reverse sliding door. It's your gut told you to do something that you actually didn't want to do, but it turned out to be the right thing. So um, you mentioned that you were grieving the loss of your niece. You'd found out your sister-in-law had cancer. You know, you had to get a job because your husband had set up his own business. So there were a lot of things going on for you. So why, what did make you say yes then to the job? So it was after my third child, I took a year and a half off for maternity leave because I'd rushed back with the first two. I went back after five and a half months, my son, I went back after seven months with my daughter. And this time I thought I'm this third baby age 40 is such a miracle. I never thought I would have her and I want to enjoy every minute of it. So I, I, I wasn't working in a full-time job. I think when I fell pregnant, I was consulting. So I, had, I didn't have to make a decision. And I was doing a little bit of work here and there, but on the whole, I took a year and a half off. And then my husband decided to set up his own business. He started to do a startup. Mm-hmm. In, in order to do that, we agreed I would go back to work to help support us while he set up his business. Um, I sorely regretted that decision. <laughs> That's another conversation. Um so when this job came, the, when the job at Glamour came, and the reason it came to me was because they were looking, they were looking for somebody who had both print and digital experience. Which is the whole pivot that you yeah. were clever yeah. enough to do. And there weren't at that time that many journalists or editors who'd had editing experience in both print and digital, which I then had. So as I said, I think that's what brought me back into the workplace. That's what gave me the opportunity to come back. Um, and certainly if I'd stayed just as a print editor, I wouldn't have been able to come on and do this job. So it ended up being the best thing that ever happened. When I came back to Glamour, I had a two-year-old, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and my two-year-old wasn't sleeping at all. And I had to hire a new team. I had to design, redesign the website. I I re-looked at all our social I redesigned the print magazine. It, was, it wasn't just walking into a situation that was already settled. It was very unsettled because the, mm-hmm. because the brand was undergoing such massive change. And there was also a lot of disbelief in the industry that this was a good idea because, yeah. you know, so focused on print that they thought if you, you know, if you don't print every month, then you're over. And I kept hearing from people, glamour's over, glamour's over. And I just... I was thinking, probably just drove you to succeed even more. It's over. It's gone digital first. But again, it was, it was, it was, you can't listen to other people because mm-hmm. if I listened to other people, I wouldn't have taken the job and I wouldn't have believed that it could succeed. Mm-hmm. So you have to have self-belief. It's really important to have self-belief. And also I am the kind of person, if people tell me I can't do something, it makes me 50 times more determined yep. to do prove them wrong yeah so that definitely was some of the driving factor for me but also the reality of the situation was it was pretty tough at the beginning Mm -hmm. and I really suffered from terrible anxiety I was sleeping four hours a night and going to work sometimes just on four hours sleep and then having to manage all these situations and it was quite a lot of turmoil at the time in the industry and it really nearly broke me I'm not going to I mean, I've been open about it. It almost broke me. And it got to the point that my husband said to me, you either need to give up this job or you need to do something 
um, you need to change something. You yeah. can't go like this. And he was right. He was absolutely right. And, you know, my options at the time were take antidepressants, get counselling. And I don't know why, but I just decided I was going to change my own life. And I started doing something which I've written about, which was my 70% life. I just decided I'm going to drop 30%, consciously drop 30% of the things in my life and just focus on the 70% mm-hmm. that I really need to do. So for me, that was my kids come first, my family comes first, my job comes first. I stopped socializing as much. I left whole weekends free sometimes with no arrangements. I gave up trying to lose my baby weight. You know, my, my baby's now six. I've still not lost the baby weight. You know, I just didn't You can't have... do everything and give your all to everything. Can't do everything. Yeah. You can do everything, but just not all at the same time. It brings up a really good point because you can go into a job that's kind of ready-made, you step in, you know what you're doing, it's the same nine to five repetitive, but actually you had an opportunity to be a builder and to create something and it probably took you a bit of time to be like, stand back, what can I actually create here? And as you say, that 70% life is just such a brilliant way to look at it. Well, even from a work perspective, you know, um, I remember, so I oversee the print, the website, social media, and the video teams. And I just didn't have my video strategy sorted at all. And I used to lie in bed at night worrying about it, thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I haven't sorted out my video strategy. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I just thought, I'm just going to focus on the things that I know I can do really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it, the video strategy will have to be better done than perfect. It will be done, but it won't be how I really want it to be done. I'll have to focus on that later. And I've taken that view with a lot of things. It's okay. To, Better done than perfect is fine for a lot it's of things. So, you're so right. Someone once taught me that they were like, if you wait for things to be perfect, number one, it'll never happen. And number two, someone will come in and do it before you. Exactly. Sometimes you've just got to do it. It yeah. doesn't, you know, you can tweak it along the way. You can think, oh, that wasn't right. We'll change it. And I think that's really how we work at Glamour with everything. We're, we, we're quick. We move quickly. We like to be first to market with a lot of things, but you know, we're agile and we change things a lot of way and we learn from our mistakes, which yeah. is what we discussed, you know, of earlier. Also, it taught me that people don't like change. You know, when Facebook, um, when Facebook launched their news feed, I think about 10 years ago, a million people set up a Facebook group to say they hated it. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy used to change the layouts all the time yeah. to be like uproar. Yes. And can you imagine Facebook without a news feed now? You can't even imagine yeah. something. So again, it goes back to, you know, you shouldn't always listen to other people. You should follow your gut instinct and do what's right for you. And in this case, for me, it was the right thing to support my family. And also it forced me back into the workplace after having children. Mm -hmm. And it it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think a lot of women are scared to really push themselves forward. Yeah. Was there a, a kind of a bit of a defining moment? So as you said, like your instinct and your anxiety and everything was really high. What was the moment when you were like, you know what? I made the right choice here. I like having the power of a platform to make change. And for me, you know, last year with the Black Lives Matter movement and being able to highlight LGBTQ plus um, voices and women's voices, the voices of women of color, that's so powerful to be able to do that. And to me, that makes it worth it. And I don't always get it right, but 
I think the intention to do good is there and really for me that's very important yeah oh Deborah it's been so lovely to chat to you um thank you for being so open and honest about your journey but also what an aspiring female leader you are to everybody and what you do at Glamour is fantastic you are leading the way and you are an inspiration to people so I really appreciate your time today and thank you so much thank you so much it's been great chatting to you thanks Deborah. thank you so much for listening to this episode of sliding doors if you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring I would love it if you could rate review share and subscribe thank you so much